Alright everyone, welcome back. On this week's episode, Kayla got to talk with Dakota Monk. Dakota has been jockeying standout horses for years, but really stood out with his 2020 superstar, Famous Lemon Drop. This year, he has jockeyed the outstanding fraternity horse, BS Born to Cash, to multiple wins, including over $75,000 at the Ardmore Fraternity in September. Going into the NFR, we start talking with the ladies who qualified. However, the trainers behind those elite athletes deserve some attention too, and we hope to see Famous Lemon Drop running down the Thomas and Mac Alley with Stevie Hillman, so no better time to share where her story starts with Dakota. This week's episode is brought to you by Top Hand Brand Boots. Top Hand Brand Boots are designed for real-life use. They aren't just another protective boot for your horse. They are a better boot. Affordable and innovative. Top Hand Brand Boots are designed to keep the legs cooler than other boots, to prevent gaps from allowing dirt in, and are made with Velcro made to last, yet are still easy to remove. Their cutout ankle design keeps bell boots from interfering with the boot, yet are still offering full protection. Most importantly, Top Hand Brand Boots are designed by rodeo parents and competitors. They know what horses need and want your horse to have the best protection while still offering boots at a price point that is affordable. You can find out more about Top Hand Brand online at tophandbrand.com, on Facebook and Instagram at Top Hand Brand, or on the App Store at Top Hand Brand. Use the code MONEYBARREL to save 20% on their boots and bell boots. A huge savings to you. Alright Dakota, you're up. This is the Money Barrel. Today we are getting the chance to talk to Dakota Monk. He is currently driving to the Ruby Buckle. Um, so if you hear a little bit of background noise, that might be what it is, but our guests actively compete. So we met up with Dakota while we could. So thanks for joining me today. I'm excited to do it. I wanted to have you on. One, you were one of our requested trainers, but also um, we get to watch one of your first horses run at the NFR this year. And I thought it would be really cool to just kind of hear your story because we always get to talk to the rodeo girls. We always get to see them, but sometimes we don't really get to meet the trainers behind those horses. So, um, yeah, I'm just excited to share your story. So fill us in a little bit about, you know, I know you're going to the Ruby Buckle, but how's your year been going? Um, It's been good. Uh, Last year was definitely something to remember with uh, Famous Lemon Drop. And then, you know, to get another horse that's, you know, I don't know, it's always hard to compare. <laughs> but uh, I feel like the great mayor, uh, B.S. Born to Cash, has been really fun all year. And um, I've had a couple other horses that I got to ride for a short term that they did really well, too. How, but, many, um, how many are you taking to the Ruby Buckle with you? Uh, just two. Um, I've uh first our friend street to vegas philly that i just got not so long ago and then the great man and that's bs born to cash right yes color solely are they both fraternity colts this year yes um the roan mayor the french street to vegas mayor is the owner really didn't realized she was eligible to run in the fraternities this year so i kind of got her late but uh, we fit each other's training pretty good so i'm excited to run her awesome so let's um i guess i always do this i always jump into current day but let's take a step back and tell us a little bit about your background and growing up and what led you to becoming a fraternity horse trainer for barrel racing um well 
we grew up with my mom. She kind of played around with training uh, for the public a little bit and obviously for herself. And, you know, we did play days and she rodeoed a little bit, like, you know, the local stuff. And then um, we did drill team and we just had fun riding and we just loved horses. Um, There's five of us total, but at the time there was just three of us and uh, kids. And then, um, so we all did everything. And um, when I turned... 13 we had moved close to a cutting trainer and i wanted to get a job to make some extra money so i went down there and asked him if i could work for him and i uh, started out cleaning stalls and then he started letting me ride a little bit and then uh, i kind of got hooked on cutting um, and so i did that i started that in 2002 and I showed up until 2006, and then I decided that I wanted to go back to barrel racing and kind of what I learned in the cutting um, and kind of put it over to how a horse is supposed to move around a barrel and uh, how broke they get them and stuff. I mean, I love the cutting. Uh, I kind of wanted to do it on my own, and that's where I was in my life. I wanted to work for myself and... So, you know, I showed cutters with several different cutting trainers and learned a lot. Um, But to get started in the cutting industry was a little bit more difficult. So I always said I was going to go back to that. And uh, so as far as working for myself, I just wanted to do that. So I started taking outside horses, uh, just training and then dabbling back into the barrel horse stuff. Um. Do you feel, do you feel like when you left cutting and went back to barrel racing, like you had a far better understanding of like how the horse moved and everything to help you with your barrel racing training or what, what did you take from cutting? Cause that really interests me, um, how the different industries, I guess, could kind of like roll into training barrel horses. Yeah. Um, I mean, for sure. Um, the moves are, you know, obviously different. And, uh, but as far as a horse's natural way of moving, um, you learn that a lot by just riding a cutting horse because they naturally do, cutting horses naturally do their job, uh, when you hook them onto a flag or a cow. And so their natural moves are there. And so that's kind of what I wanted to put into the barrels is the natural move for the horse. Each horse is different. Um, they all have a different style, but as far as how a horse is naturally supposed to go around the barrel is pretty much all the same, whether a horse actually does it correct or not. Um, and so, and then as far as just having them like every body part broke down, I feel like makes a huge difference, um, in training. Cause you can always go back to that if you're having problems. Um, and if you, don't start out with, you know, a real solid foundation, uh, broke and all the body parts. Uh, I just feel like it makes it way more difficult to kind of keep one solid and, you know, in tune. I think that's really valuable advice. And we talk about it a lot on the podcast, just how it seems like 
a common theme now is, you know, trying to make barrel racing more professional and how can we make it better? And it, I feel like yes. it always goes back to, I mean, these other professions have their horses so completely broke. And sometimes yes. you see horses running around the barrels and you're like, mm, I don't think that one should be going that fast yet. <laughs> we, we might have to get that one a little bit more broke. So I think that's really interesting. Um, just kind of what you took from that. And like you said, let them move naturally, but then again, you still have them really, really broke. Yes. I mean, a lot of people, and I'm not talking like behind the bridle broke. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I will, I do like mine maybe a little bit more soft, but, um, I don't want them behind the bit. Um, but I definitely want them in my hands when I, when I ask them to come to me, but you know, everybody has their different way of feel and how they want a horse to feel. Um, but I just like my hands low and I like slow movements. And uh, when I ask for it, it's there. And, you know. Yeah, totally makes sense. I will, I will not, I do not like pulling on a horse. So if I have to pull on one, I'm probably not going to run it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Unless I can, if I can get it trained to, to my style or whatever, then I'm, I'm good with it. But um, I've rode some horses. I've had to, the horse wanted me to pull on them, and I just, I can't get along with those kind of horses. Well, and if anybody's watched your videos, you definitely don't have to pull on your horses. I think they're <laughs> turning hard enough. <laughs> they don't need any yeah. extra help. Yeah. So how did your first few years getting into the fraternities go? Because that would have been, what, like 2007, um, you around No, uh, well, okay, so uh, I trained for the public and just kind of, you know, did the barrel horse thing. I had my own barrel horse that I was running, and I was just, you know, getting clients that way. And um, My mom had actually sold a uh, cutter that the, the cutters rejected uh, as far as Futurian and stuff, and there was nothing wrong with him, but my mom had ended up with him and had him for a short time and um, really don't know why she sold him, but she ended up selling him. Well, in 2008, um, this lady had called me and asked me to take this horse in and he was kind of crow hopping with her granddaughter and, and she needed someone to ride him and give him a job. And I said, okay, so she gets there and unloads him and it's the, that horse, his name was Shorty. And uh, he, he had our brand on him and um or my mom's brand and i was like oh my gosh i know that horse that's used to be my mom's horse and she's like oh my gosh i didn't know that and um so uh i had him and he was um a four-year-old so he was maturity as a five-year-old but that wasn't in the plans yet um i just kind of started riding him for the lady and you know i just fell in love with him uh he just mainly his problem was he definitely needed a job he wasn't bad. He wasn't trying to buck. He was just bored. Um, so I kind of started him on the barrels and started playing with the poles a little bit. And a couple months went by and she came to check on him and I rode him for her. And he just naturally went to the barrels. Uh, he loved them. Um, and it was just really fun for him and me. Um, and so we just kind of kept going. And then uh, about a couple more months into it, I don't really know how I, I've always, I always wanted to do the maturity stuff, but I never really understood it. Um, 
in the beginning. And so I kind of started looking into it um, and asking the owner if she would be interested in something like that. And she said, yeah. Um, so we ended up entering him at, uh, it used to be the JB Quarter Horse Futurity. Uh, and it was in November, so it was later in his five-year-old year. And that was my first maturity. Uh, I was, I don't know, I was more excited than nervous. Um, I don't think I knew any better to be nervous. <laughs> uh, but he ended up, um, it was my first maturity, he ended up placing in both rounds in the average. And, you know, to me, I felt like I won the thing. <laughs> That's but, awesome. Uh, yeah, it was, it was far from a win, but it was we thought it was and um he went on uh and actually ended up she actually let, ended up letting me buy him like a year later and uh i went on him at all kinds of little stuff and then he would always place into the super shows and then uh, he went on to my wife and then my daughter and then we actually ended up selling to one of my students about two years ago and he's still running today and winning with the little girl um and so that my goal has always been futurity and I want to win and all that stuff. But my long, like my actual goal for these horses is to have a horse at the end for kids or rodeo. Like I want to see them still winning when I'm, you know, training my next ones or when I'm sitting down just watching, I can see those horses that I train doing stuff and people remembering them you know, as these great horses that I know that they are. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's a, that's a great start to your career as a fraternity trainer, having the very first one you have still winning today, you know, 10 plus years later. Yeah. I mean, it is really cool to watch after him, you know, it was a rough patch for a long time. (laughs) We didn't, uh, I mean, we had a couple of horses that, um, was nice. Um, and either the owners ended up selling them or they got hurt or, uh, the owners didn't want to do the charity thing. I mean, just, it just seemed like one after the other, I just couldn't win for losing. And, uh, I had, a Eddie Stinson mayor, uh, in 2013 and she was really fun. Um, I got to win on her for a very short time and then, uh, the owners got a divorce and put that on hold and I ended up buying her later too. And she's winning with one of my other students. I sold her about well, la- exactly last year and, uh, she's been winning on her. And then after that, it kind of went through another dry spell <laughs> and, uh, I nearly to be totally honest, I nearly gave up because I wanted that more like I wanted to maturity women and uh, have what I seen other trainers have and you know I felt like I worked my butt off to get to where I was and it just never seemed like it would stay consistent and that all changed when famous Linda Drop come in the barn she's changed our lives 
Before we get into her story, I'm so glad you brought that up, though, because I do think it's very easy for people to look at, like, the fraternity trainers and be like, oh, every year they have winners. Every year they have good horses in their barn. And, like, that's really not the case. And even if you see their name, even if you do see it every year, like, there's a lot of horses that don't make it, too. So if you don't have 20 head to start with, like, they don't just come every year. No, no. And I mean, we always had the opportunity and always was blessed with the full training barn. They just necessarily wasn't always fraternity horses or the age wise. They wasn't, the owners didn't get them to me in time. And it was just nonstop uh, different reasons why it wasn't what I was needing or wanting. And I loved training any horse I got, whether it was a tune up or, um, for a kid or just training the horse all the way through. Like, I love that. I mean, the whole process was, I've always loved my job, but there was always something in the back of me that wanted that more. And so I was at the point where I was like, you know, question what I was doing. And if I just needed to go get a real job, cause it's probably so much easier and blah, blah. <laughs> and, um, because, you know, training is not easy. I don't care how good you are or um, how many horses you have in the barn. It's It just gets harder. Um, and I don't think people realize that, that yeah, it's long, you're successful, but it's still a everyday hard job. Um, and the more you grow, the more you have to grow your business and more people you have to hire and the more room you need <laughs> and yeah, all of the, it adds up the more expensive it gets the harder yes. it is to win and yeah yes. it all just kind of works against each other sometimes yeah. yeah so tell us when did you get famous lemon drop and for those that may not know famous lemon drop is the horse we talked about at the start that's going to be running yeah. at the nfr this year um so when did you get her um it was the mid 2018, I guess. And, um, I got her, um, and it wasn't, I mean, it was the first time I sat on her, she just felt like, you know, her presence was that way anyways. And then, uh, she was kind of a bad girl. She was rearing up and bucking. Um, and she was, she was just basically the same as Shorty. She wanted a job. She wanted to do something. And if she wasn't doing anything, she was finding ways to act bad and not terrible being mean. She just was bored and playing. And she was so strong and athletic that if you wasn't paying attention, you were going to come off. <laughs> um, and so she intimidated a lot of people. And she never intimidated me. I... When horses buck or play with me, I literally laugh at them um, just because I think it's fun when a horse is that happy or um, that excited about doing something. I feel like when a horse is playing and doing that kind of stuff, they're bored and they want to do more. When I get on a horse that is like, oh, here we go again, you know, those attitudes to me, they don't really strive off of work. I mean, they'll do their job and they – they might be a winner, but, you know, they don't really strive off of winning. 
Mm-hmm. And so when I got that out of that feeling from her, from uh, Lemon Drop, um, it was just a crazy feeling. And um, once she was so easy to do, to work every day and to train, like she was so simple. Um, it was the same spot every day um, or every time I worked on the barrels, I didn't work her every, every day on the barrels. But um, but the main thing with her was just kind of keeping her brain calm and um, wired down a little bit because she wanted to do more all the time. Like she probably could have easily been fried or blown up or whatever the words you want to use, but just because she wanted it so bad. And if you literally just let her keep doing it, she would probably keep doing it. Um, but she just strived off of pleasing you. She strived off of her job and she was super fun. Uh, always a handful, but fun. So uh, you got her, you said like the middle of her two year old year. Um, no, it was three. Oh, her three year old year. No, no, you're right. I'm sorry. Okay, so her two-year-old year, she was already broke, um, but then you did all the pattern work on her. Um, Well, she had changed hands a couple times for those reasons of being the personality that she is. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, being Uh, that—that's a very polite way to put it. Yeah, and um, you know, I never—I in my eyes, she was an angel. Bindi always calls her the fire-breathing dragon <laughs> um, because they got to spend a lot of time with her when she was at the breeding farm, at their breeding farm, uh, doing the embryo stuff last year. And they had a hard time catching her and all that stuff. And she would call me and be like, what did you sell me? And I'm like, <laughs> she's an angel. <laughs> like, for real. Like, you go in her stall, she comes to me and she wants scratches. <laughs> So I never, I, we just had this bond, like she always was like that with other people. Like they'd come to her stall, she would, you know, just like tense up and go to the back of the corner and act like you're going to kill her. But he, she is just, and she's like that with Stevie now. She just loves to be loved on. And, but she has to pick you and you have to earn her respect and she'll respect you. But it's a not really a discipline respect. It's just a trust thing I think with her that's funny and I another point like I'm glad you brought up because some people might view horses like that as being naughty and not well broke and you know hard to handle but it seems like you really kind of dialed into what she was doing and not trying to be mean but just you know raring to go um and yeah she she got into some different hands that wanted to you know tune on her every time she did that she probably wouldn't have made it around the barrels at all yeah i mean i guess we could all say with any horse that they wouldn't be the outcome that they had without the right person which Mm -hmm. is true but i just felt like you know me and her were just we just gelled so well together our personalities how I understand horses and like you said, you know, any other person would think she's being disrespectful. You know, she was just very different. Um, and it just took me time and to really study her and really understand what she was, what her problem was is and what she was wanting or not understanding from humans. 
So you said that you, she obviously wanted a job and to be kept busy, but you also had to work on keeping her mind together and, you know, not working your every day on the pattern. So how did you bring her along her three-year-old year, like when it came time to exhibition or when you wrote her, like, did you ever just ride her out on the pasture or did you just work her a couple days a week? It's always interesting to me how people like bring those colts along. Yeah. Um, I mean, with pretty much everyone. But her in particular, I was a little bit more particular about how I did her workouts. All my horses to the right and to the left. Uh, like I'll try all lefts and all rights on the barrels. And then I'll also do the pattern to the left and to the right. Figure out which which way they are more comfortable and what's more natural to them. Once they get started on the barrel pattern and I kind of decide which direction they're, they like best, um, I'll do that maybe twice a week. And the other times I'm working on the pole, my pole drill, um, and then a lot out in the pasture, just long trot and kind of keep them fit. And I did a lot of that with Famous Lemon Drop. Um, she seemed to do way better with just kind of keeping her mind, you know, out of the arena. Around home, when I first started calling her to exhibitions, um, I normally do like three or four exhibitions on each pole. And with her, I would just mainly trot through and just go to her spots. Um, and I might let her lope through slow the early on in exhibitions. When we got later into the year, when I guess I was kind of just going to start letting her cruise through. And uh, I usually don't really start trying to ask mine to clock until later summer. When I got to get to that point with her, it was just one trot through. And then I would let her just cruise through. And she would always like really wasn't a cruise through it was was a full out run for her and uh she was just amazed us like i would pretty much always try to wait till after the jackpot where the barrels were on the stakes and the ground was maybe hopefully better and uh i would send her through and just i would never ask her to go fast she just did it and i would look up at the clock and i would just be like what like what did she just do like it was always Either she would have won the jackpot or she was in the 1D at that night or that particular jackpot, you know, two tenths or something. And I was just like, I knew she could do it and I knew she had it because she was just such a freak around the barrels. And she always went in there and just gave me everything she had, like every time. So it was super fun and super exciting. I knew what I had. And so going into the juvenile you know, obviously we want to win, but I just wanted her to be solid, and that's always my goal. And so I didn't really want to change that. So she did uh, place good in the average, I believe, at the juvenile. And uh, then we entered her there for the average, and I think she placed second in one of the rounds. So right uh, off the bat, you kind of were like, I have one that's going to make this year really fun. Yeah. Well, okay. So let me back up a little bit. So the owners had never really, we did, they didn't send her to me to maturity. They sent her to me just to ride. And um, I think it was like three months into her training or whatever. She was like, hey, um, it was Nikki Sigoni under still at the time. And she was like, hey, when do you want me to come get Barbie? And I was like, what actually she didn't say Barbie I said I think she said Yellow America because I didn't even have a name for her I actually got to name her um and 
uh, I was like, never. That's all I text back was never. <laughs> and I was like joking, but hoping too, because I didn't really know them, you know, that maybe there would be something there. And so I think she called me and she's like, what do you mean never? And I was like, this mayor is something special. You know, you don't need to consider doing the paternity thing with her. And she was like, what? Like, you know, she told me later, she thought I was lying to her to keep her just in training. Oh my God. And I, we just laugh about it all the time because I literally was like, y'all cannot come get this horse. Like you have to pursue something with this mare. She's like, she needs to, you need to let her shine. And, um, so we laugh about it now, but they ended up leaving her and obviously they didn't believe me, but for some reason they left her with me <laughs> and, uh, I would send them, they, they was, uh, they did team sorting and, uh, cutting kind of stuff. And, but they also got into the barrel racing, the mom and the daughter, Nikki and Aubrey. And so they knew, you know, what was going down. But when I would send them her exhibition or whatever and tell her how good she was doing and where she would clock, whatever, you know, they would just kind of be like, okay, like, you know, whatever kind of deal. And uh, when we got closer to enter and earn all that stuff in the BFA, She's like, you really think she's something that, you know, worth entering? And I was like, yes, I still think that. And um, so we laugh about that. But um, Thank yes, goodness they kept her with you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, we all, we're all very grateful for our decisions. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you fought for it. You're like, no, nope, yeah. she's got to go. Yeah. And uh, they have, they're still clients of mine. Um, and they've just been good as gold. And um, they were so really good with me through the process of selling her. And, you know, she really wasn't for sale, but we really couldn't turn down well. And they made sure I just got to finish my year on her. You know, that was kind of the agreement to sell her. And they've just been really good. But How important do you think that is? Like when fraternity horses are sold, say, in the middle of the year, to like stay with their current jockey? Um, I think, and I think they should stay longer, but, um, you know, it depends on the horse and where they're going to go do, but, uh, I think it makes a huge impact on the horse, you know, just like my gray mare Soli, the BS born to cash. We just actually sold her and I get to finish my year out on her. And she's a five-year-old, so she's a little bit more mature. And uh, so she'll go on to with her new owners after that, and we're super excited about that. But as far as, you know, there's still babies, even though, like, the other mare and Scray mare and Stella, and, you know, these top nice, they look easy, and they go in there and do their job every time, and they win, but they still they're still babies and they still need that consistency of what was happening and what got them there and how to keep them there. And I just think it's really important. Yeah. I, I for think, their long term. I think so too, especially if you buy them earlier in the year, like keep them with the person that trained them. You obviously yeah. like them for a reason and, you know, yeah. hopefully that helps, you know, keep them solid to when they do go on to their next jockey, they can, you know, kind of, 
stay right where they're at and, you know, keep winning versus hit yes. that lull that derby year when it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> right, right. And Bendy was real wrong with me when she uh, contacted me about buying her. You know, she was like, you know, I want you to stay on. Uh, they were really good owners. They still are. I have several horses for them now. And uh, it's it's been fun process with them. And, you know, we're just enjoying what's happening now with, with her. And I'm super excited, uh, but super nervous at the same time. So... So how did the fraternity year end up with Lemon Drop? Because I know you started off really well. And, I mean, I remember seeing her in the magazines all year. And <laughs> I met Fizz Bomb. I think she set an arena record. So obviously she was, like, running well through September. Um, but what all did you guys accomplish? The most, I mean, there were so many with her high, crazy high moments. But um, was Edna. And she went in and swept that. Maturity. Uh, this was coming off of Oklahoma City where she had just placed and I knew she had way more to give and we went up to Edna uh, and she won the first round won the second round won the slot race like it was just like I couldn't like I mean I could believe it but it was just so surreal like it was crazy and it was so fun uh, and she just put on a show there and so after that, it was kind of hard to not win on her. <laughs> like, I'm like, okay, so we 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 gotta we gotta keep this up because I'm really liking it, and obviously she is too. That's um, awesome. And so then she went on, um, and uh, we had a little dry spell in February, I guess you would say. Uh, she got sore, and we had some tough luck at Kinder. And then uh, we went on to, and this was all during the COVID stuff. So we went on to BBR and she won that. That was probably one of the, the most, I don't know, it was the, the second round was the funnest run I've probably made on her. It was just, she just nailed every spot and she clocked really good. And she won that. And then, uh, we went on to Waco, and I think that's when the COVID started shutting us down. Uh, she was third there, I believe, second or third for the average. She won a round on that one. And, um, like, every futurity, you know, it was, I don't know, it was just different. We just, I guess we just knew each other so well, and if she was feeling good, I knew I could put the hammer down, I guess, or <laughs> yeah. whatever, and she was going to. She was going to do it. You could go and, for uh, it. Yeah. I mean, if, she, if something, if we didn't win or we didn't clock where we were supposed to, uh, the ground either didn't hold or she was, something was wrong with her. She was sore. I mean, there was two times out of those years, and it always happened at one of the bigger shows. At, um, we need to back up. She won landscapes, too. That was one of the, that was in February or whatever. That was fun. The times that she had a fever twice, uh, two different futurities. And it was, I think two of the bigger added money ones, of course. And, um, we didn't know it, but she didn't really show me any signs that she wasn't feeling good. She ate and did everything normal, warmed up normal. And then after her run, she just like, actually like, you know, the life was just out of her. And I was like, 
what the heck. So took her temp and she was running like a 103 fever. And I'm like, how did you just go in there and do that? Because she's still clocked. She just didn't do her normal blow them out of the water. Yeah. And um, so uh, that was just how much heart she had. And it just amazed us. Like, she never seemed to amaze us. She never, uh, we just always just like jaw dropping moments with her. Uh, and she would always prove to us how much heart she had and how much she had to give us. And she knew how much we needed to win. Like she wanted it as bad as we did. And we were enjoying the ride. And I think she was just as much. Uh, and then, uh, I think Waco was like our last show for a little bit because the COVID stuff shut us down. And then, so we ended up just going up north and we went to the Fizzball, I mean, to the uh, Glenwood, and she was second there, won around. We went to Colorado for American Qualifier, and Cassie showed up with Epic Guy and another one of her good horses, and it was probably another one of the most funnest runs on her and she maybe got by the first barrel just i mean a tick and she spun it so bad uh so fast on the backside and got it kind of out but she would have been she would have played again at the american qualifier so it was pretty sickening (laughs) oh wow yeah uh and uh then we went to gillette and that's where she broke the arena record and uh, that was one of the so the first round uh, was one she wasn't feeling too great that day, uh, and I didn't I didn't really think anything of it, but she wasn't acting like herself. We did take her temp, and she didn't have a temp. Um, but we got her feeling good for the next round, and that's when she broke the arena record by like. I don't know. I think she has about like three or four tens. It's something crazy. And we ended up second in the average there. And uh, I watch that run all the time. I watch that one uh, and the BBR run. She's just so fun to watch. I'll have to get those and post those um, on our social media when we share this. But I mean, those type of runs, they really do give you the confidence, like, going forward, even though you're not running her now, but, like, you can look back at those and be like, I I jockeyed that. I was a part of that ride. For sure. For sure. So how Uh, has it been watching her with Stevie, and did you get to ride with Stevie at all or talk to Stevie when she started taking over the reins and seasoning her at the rodeos? um, So a lot of this wasn't – and everybody's plan it kind of got filmed together at the last moment and uh, so if I, if it the plan <laughs> the plan that was supposed to happen was going to be you know pretty organized but um, after the breeding season took so long and uh, Stevie needed another horse and uh, so you know she, it was decided that she needed to go rodeo a little bit sooner than expected. Uh, and that was hard for me at the beginning, but I totally knew what the goal was and what they bought her for and, um, a business decision for Bendy and all that stuff. So I totally backed it 
um, it was just hard on me as far as my heart and uh, just her not coming back home like planned. And so I had been looking forward to her coming back home and then she didn't. So it was really hard for me, but I totally supported everything and I wanted the best for everybody. Uh, you know, Stevie calls me all the time and she called me when that, when it happened, woman made the decision and uh, we talked about it. We never got to ride together um, before she left. Um, we have got to ride together between then. And then, uh, but Stevie was really good about sending me videos and being like, you know, you know, basically what, what would you do here or whatever? And I would just be totally honest with her and, she she's definitely got her uh timing down on her now and you know they it's just really cool to watch i think that's really important too um because i mean obviously as a fraternity trainer every year you get new cults and you know that that is the goal um and then you know you just see some fraternity horses go off and if you don't go back and talk to the trainer who trained it or you know i think every single trainer wants to see their horse go on and win and maybe even do better yeah. with somebody else than it did with them right. like that's the that's the whole point so i think that's yeah. really cool that you guys were able to talk and kind of you know get to know you know stevie at least relied on you a little bit to ask questions instead of just like try to figure it out herself because that probably wouldn't right. have gone well. <laughs> it's just <laughs> no. asking the question. Right. Yeah. Um, it was, it's just been crazy to watch. Um, I think she, anything she does, she strives off of Barbie, the mayor. And um, I think the rodeo environment just gives her that much more edge. And just watching her figure it out just by a couple of runs, it just blows me away. I, I said, if any five-year-old horse can do it, that's been off since October. Um, she can do it. that mare. Yeah. For sure. And, you know, was I stressed about it? Was I worried about it? Of course I was. But in the back of my mind, I was like, you know, if this is another horse that, you know, I – I would probably be like, this is not a good idea. <laughs> but uh, with her, I just, I knew she was going to feed off all that stuff. And she just, like, she, once she started winning in January, like, she was pretty much a finished horse then. Like, obviously, yes, I still did my same drills on her, still tuned on her in certain ways, and, you know, contained the tiger, the vibrant dragon that was in her. Um, but she still, when you, when the money was up, she was going to give you everything. I was just about to ask that. Like, what did you do with her, her fraternity or to keep her solid? Just kept her kind of in the same routine. Probably just didn't exhibition as much. I never changed anything I did on that mare ever. I never worked her different on the barrels. Um, I never changed the bit. She rode in the same bit from her. When I started her, till I finished her, or till we finished it, her fraternity year, and uh, which she didn't get to fraternity her whole year, but in I think October. But um, she probably didn't have to exhibition, but you know, 
the next message are free, and so I just trotted her through. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I went to her spots and let her see the pin and feel the ground. I mean, that's what my excuse was. It made me feel good in my head. She probably didn't care for it or need it, but I also don't think it's terrible for them when not running them, but trotting or walking them just in the arena just to let them chill. Now, every time you go down the arena or in the arena, it's a run. And I think that helps any horse, but no, I never changed how I worked her. Uh, and at home, I probably never worked on the barrels maybe once a week. And the other times were literally, we was long trotting in the pasture, going up and down the pond dams at a wall and sometimes backing up on at the less steep ends of them. Yeah, just keep but, her keep her in shape, but not, you yeah. know, not overdo it. Dakota's not done yet. If you want to hear about his 2021 fraternity season, head on over to patreon.com and subscribe to The Money Barrel. For just $5 a month, the cost of a single exhibition, you'll gain instant access to about 20 extra minutes with Dakota and so much more. Like our Patreon-exclusive segment, The Short Go. Next up on The Short Go, Haley Kinzel is back as she prepares for another shot at the National Finals Rodeo. Watch for this episode of The Short Go to release later this week to our Patreon subscribers. Don't forget to check out Top Hand Brand Boots on Facebook, Instagram, their website, or in your app store. All right, everyone, run fast, be safe, and we'll see you soon.